Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. About 20 years ago, my dad was in his 70s, and he decided to compile the stories of his life in a book form. And he decided to make a copy of this for my three brothers and me, but also for the 13 grandkids. His goal was to give each child, each grandkid, a copy of his book as soon as they graduated from high school. That's because he wanted to leave behind a heritage And I really enjoyed this. I think it was called Ken and Carol, Our Life with God. And he just wanted to, he wanted his extended family to recognize the role that God had played in his life through all the stories, all of the things that had happened to him. And part of this book, I I love, are the pages that were devoted to pictures. He has several pages of pictures of relatives, most of whom I never met. There are pictures there of my great-grandparents. There were pictures of their parents. There was a picture of my grandmother when she was a teenager, which is really a fascinating picture because when I think of my grandmother, I think she was never young. She just was always old, it seems to me. And then I see this picture, I think, yeah, I guess she once was a girl. Also in this book, he included a family tree. And included the names of various individuals, the date of their birth, the date of their death. It included the country from which they came. It wouldn't be a surprise, I don't think, to any of you to realize that my relatives came from Europe. A lot of my relatives were Dutch, but there was also some German there, although my German relatives, I understand, actually came from Russia. That they had been refugees. I don't know what exactly happened there, but they actually were... Russian Germans who eventually made their way to the United States. And my dad lists a lot of these factors. He talks about the fact that he was raised with four brothers. Two of his brothers, including my dad, went into ministry full-time as pastors. And those two brothers are still alive today. One of them turned 99 this past week. It's part of the longevity of the family here today, but I come from kind of a strong Christian heritage. Now, why am I talking about all this? Well, God created people so that when they were born, they could be placed within a family of some kind, a community of some kind. I realize that families can take different forms these days, but God designed it so that when we're born, we're placed into a family where we can be taken care of. This isn't like some animals in the animal kingdom that After the animal is born, and I don't know which ones this applies to, but after the animal is born, they basically say, bye, mom, bye, dad, and they just take off. They just hop off. Human babies were just so needy, so fragile, and we're raised within this context of an immediate family of some kind, and then many times there's a heritage. I'm part of something bigger that kind of explains why I am the way I am. Both the good things and the bad things relate to my family of origin, but also my history and why certain ones came over and this and that. Today I want to talk about the fact that 
if you put your faith in Christ, you're born again, which I talked about last week, how a person is born anew, born afresh, but that God designed things in a similar sense where we become part of a community or a family. This was God's design, and it's a supernatural thing that the Holy Spirit does. That the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are placed within this, this family of God where you inherit a bunch of brothers and sisters. In that family, there'll be some spiritual fathers and mothers that'll be part of your development. And I'm not talking about like a local church that God leads you to, although I think God does that sometimes. And many times he does that. No, I'm talking about the fact that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit supernaturally connects you with all the believers in the world. And this is why if you go to anywhere and you find out someone is a Christian, like I've been in other countries before, and I, I kind of sensed that this person was maybe a Christian, and I found out they were. And the moment I found out they were a Christian, it's like, you're a brother. And all the barriers were knocked down, and I realized, you're family, you're part of the family, and this is how God designed it to be. God designed it so that we not go through the Christian life trying to navigate it on our own. We need other people to help us in this process. It's just how God designed things to be, just like with the physical family. Now, today we're continuing our series titled Relevant. We're raising the question whether or not the church is really relevant these days. And I think a lot of people would say no. More and more as our society is turning away from God and turning away from His Word, you know, if you ask the average person, well, I don't see how the church is relevant to my life. And so last week I made a case for the fact, well, we as a church have a message that is life-giving, a message that can change the world one life at a time. That when a person puts his or her trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, in that moment they're recreated. At that moment they are reconciled with God. At that moment they are repurposed. Suddenly we have a mission to give our life to, to serve Jesus Christ, and it changes everything. But today I want to talk about this, this family in which we're placed, just like a physical child that is raised in the context of a community that's called a family, so is true in a spiritual sense as well. And I wonder sometimes, because we don't grasp this idea that we're part of a family, if we're not missing out. I wonder sometimes if we don't grow as much as we should spiritually because we're just not properly connected, that maybe we're missing out on the family we never had. Because I think the church can be that, that regardless of what your, your family life was like, and for some of us, that was really a difficult experience, but this is a chance to be reborn into a new family where there are just different rules that apply and things are very different. Now, this is how the church is referred to most often in the Bible, like a family. Terminology like brothers and sisters are used to describe our relationship with one another. And so, Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. He said, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. So, you know, Timothy was a, a minister, and when he was dealing with an older person, Paul was saying, you need to kind of in your mind get the paradigm that you treat him like you would your, a father, you know? Don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and with all propriety, younger women as sisters. It's how we're to view one another. We're to treat one another as though we are family. Paul wrote to the Romans, this in Romans 12, 10, he said, show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Show family affection. 
Dr. Vinson explains this, quoting from Dr. Farrar. Family affection here represents Christians as bound by a family tie so that the exhortation is to love the brethren in the faith as though they were brethren in the blood. That's the paradigm we need to have. Love the brethren in the faith as though they were brethren in blood. We are family with one another. Now, I think, again, a lot of people don't view the church that way. Some of you perhaps have had bad experiences in terms of your church experience, and you say, well, it certainly wasn't like that for me. But the spiritual family, like a physical family, isn't going to be perfect. You know what they say, that if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. Physical families have problems. I grew up with three brothers. I mean, we kind of got along for the most part, but boy, we kind of argued a lot. I think we argued probably more than most families, but we didn't get into physical fights. I was kind of glad about that. The closest thing to a physical fight I ever got in with one of my brothers was some argument I was having. I don't remember what it was, but I walked away, and he was at the time wearing dress shoes, which I'm guessing he, we were on our way to church or something. He had dress shoes, and he took off his dress shoe, and he just threw it at me, and the heel hit me in the back of the head, you know. That was the closest thing to a physical fight. We argued with one another, but we were brothers. And when you're brothers, you begin to view each other a certain way. Now, what I want to encourage us to do today, regardless of what your church family experience was like, your spiritual family experience is like, I want to encourage you today to be the church that you want the church to be. You know, people oftentimes criticize the church for this or that, and I'm just saying, no, we need to be the church that we would like the church to be. But the question is, what does that look like? What kind of place should a spiritual family be? And in the time that remains, I want to mention five things that I think should be true of a spiritual family. Number one is that it is a place where we can mature or grow spiritually. Of course, that's obvious. It's just a place where you grow and mature spiritually. I think all Christians should ask the question occasionally, regardless of where they're going to church, am I growing? Am I making spiritual progress? Am I going, growing in my understanding of God's Word and, and my understanding of God? You know, am, I, am I becoming a person of greater godly character? Am I learning to love more? Of course, love is the, the greatest thing. Am I loving more? A healthy family, of course, in a physical sense, is one in, in which you're, you're to, the kids are supposed to grow to maturity. So we recognize that. That's, that's what a family is about. And as parents, our goal is to, I don't know, equip the kids so that they could function as decent adults when they get older. And so I, I have five kids right now, and and all of them are, are different from one another, involved in, in different kinds of things, but they're all now adults. And that doesn't mean my job is done. Any of you that are parents that have kids that have left the home, uh, you know that you never stop being their parents and you never stop worrying either. I mean, I, I thought that that would kind of go away. Once they left, I wouldn't, like, okay, fine. It, it doesn't quite work that way, but I'm encouraged when I think that the kids have managed to get jobs and they're working in fields of various kinds and, and they're not all married yet, but a couple of them are and they're just doing life. And, and I feel like, okay, we kind of did our job. 
And that's, of course, what the church is supposed to do in a spiritual sense. Uh, Paul talked about this in Ephesians 4. He starts by talking about the fact that Jesus himself gave gifted leaders to the church so that people could grow up and mature in that church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, it says in Ephesians 4, to equip people and to build up the body of Christ, the church. But he goes on to say that the rest of the church, though, is essential too. That we need other brothers and sisters in Christ to help each other and to motivate one another. And so later in the chapter in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, he says, speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. So we're becoming more and more like Jesus. From him, the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part and you are the individual parts. I'm one of the individual parts. It grows. It builds itself up. Just like the body kind of heals itself and, and grows itself, that's what we're to do as well. There are leaders involved, but the entire church is part of this. And in our country especially, I think we think of our spiritual growth as a personal thing. We look at our spiritual journey or whatever, but I think we need to be thinking more and more in terms of we. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to help me grow and become all that God would want me to be. So a spiritual family should be a place where we can mature spiritually second. It's a place where physical needs can be met. Of course, this is true we understand in a physical family when a child is born that it, it, um, it needs you to provide for everything. In a physical family, usually one or both parents are working and they're earning money so that they could provide for food and provide for clothing and shelter and all these other things. And, and parents realize it's their responsibility to make sure that the physical needs in that family are taken care of, right? That's my responsibility. I, I have these kids. I need to take care of them physically. There's a sense in which the church is supposed to be that as well. And one of the things I love about the early church is that they had an opportunity early on to give to the needs that were found within the church there, within the church family. The church was born on the day of an event that was called Pentecost. It was one of the Jewish holy days. And in Jerusalem, people would come from all over the world to Jerusalem to celebrate this Pentecost. And there was a group of 120 believers in Jesus that were in an upper room at the time. And they were all praying together when suddenly the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they were filled up with the Holy Spirit. The church was born, but they were filled up with the Holy Spirit. They became bold. And then the text indicates that they were given the ability to speak languages that they didn't know. Foreign languages, real languages, languages of the people that had gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And apparently the 120 of them went out there, began to speak boldly, and, and these people from all these countries heard them speaking in their own language. Even their own dialect, the Greek word there is dialect. It's like a southern accent. And, and, and the people that had gathered, they were marveling at it. Like, how is it that you can, you, you're talking my language? But they were sharing Christ in that person's language. And then Peter, of course, stood up. 
And he began to preach about Jesus Christ and how you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ in order to be born anew. And on that day, 2,000 people responded to the message and the church was born. Now, let me make a side note here about that. Just about every week, I have someone come up to me and make a comment along the lines of bigger churches are not very good because they can't meet the needs of people. It's just much better, you know, to be gathered in smaller groups and not a big, you know, big is not good. And every time I hear that, I, I, I respond, yes, but the church was born and 2,000 people. The, the first church in Jerusalem was a mega church. You know, mega church is a church of over 2,000. It was born at 2,000 and then 3,000 more found Christ. A couple chapters later, you had 5,000 people. It's a God thing. And I think we need to be careful about not knocking God things. But this situation created a problem for that early church, and the problem was this. All these people would come to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and the plan was, of course, they were all going to return home to their jobs. But the only church, the only Christian church in the world at the time was the one in Jerusalem. It wasn't like there's first Jerusalem church and second Jerusalem church, and you can decide which one you want to go to. If you wanted to, to know about Christ and you wanted to listen to the apostles who had walked with Jesus, you had to stay in Jerusalem, and so that's exactly what happened. But suddenly you got all these people in Jerusalem that, well, they're not working jobs, and how are they going to eat, and where are they going to live? And at this point, the church stepped up to the plate. In Acts 2, 44 and 45, we read, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. They just stepped up. People were selling things they had and giving the money to the apostles who were helped meeting all these physical needs that were there. Now, I think it's important to realize, by the way, that this is not a model for how the the church is supposed to be. Some people look at this and say, well, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. All of us need to sell everything we have. We need to pool our money together, become like a commune or something. No, the lesson from this story is that there was a, a real physical need in their midst, and the church rose up to meet that need, and that's what we need to be about as well. When we see needs around us within the body of Christ, we need to step up and meet those needs. One of them, by the way, is this Af Afghanistan situation because they are going, the Taliban are going house to house with names of Christians in mind and they're killing them. They're hunting them down. That's why some are trying to get them out of there so quickly. But there are needs and as we become aware of needs, we should be stepping up to meet those needs. Why? Because we're a family. John wrote in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, he said, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? Little children, we must love, not love with word or speech, but with truth and in action. It's important that we meet the needs in our midst. And by the way, I believe that we're supposed to meet the needs of one another within the church before caring about the needs outside the church. I mean, we do both. Don't get me wrong about that. 
But I think there's a special responsibility that we have within the body of Christ the church. Why? Because we're family. When I was growing up, my three brothers and I, our house was tended to be the neighborhood place where people came to, came to play. Partly because there were four boys there. I mean, we were already a, a group. You know, if you wanted to play something, you got four of them right here, you know. So people came over to our house all the time. And my parents would, you know, they'd have snacks and things, but when it was dinner time, bye. I mean, occasionally, I'm sure some of them made at our house. But, but they, you know, you got your own family. You know, my, my parents did not view it as their responsibility to feed all the neighborhood kids, but they did feel the responsibility for us. We were, we were part of the family, and this is, I think, the mindset we have. Paul put it this way in Galatians 6.10. He said, therefore, as we have opportunity, we must do good or must work for the good of all, but especially those who belong to the household of faith. We want to be doing good for everybody, but especially this group. The New Living Translation puts it there, this way. Therefore, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Because I think when we do that, when we care for our own, people look on and they say, they've got something there. They see Jesus in our midst. And so a spiritual family, we are a spiritual family where people can mature spiritually. Second, we're a place where physical needs can be met. Third, we are a place where we can receive unconditional love and forgiveness. It should go without saying that because we're recipients of God's amazing love, and his, un and his forgiveness of us constantly. That we need to be extending that love and forgiveness to other people. That is what we're required to do within the body of Christ. We're to love unconditionally and we're to forgive one another. John was the youngest of Jesus' 12 disciples. And he had a, a unique tag on his name that's found in the New Testament. He's called the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. I find that a little bit odd because obviously Jesus loved them all. But there's this one. I, I don't understand it, but Jesus loved John in a different way, in a deeper way. But what's noteworthy about this is that John penned four books, of course, the Holy Spirit through John, but he penned the Gospel of John, and then he penned three other letters toward the end of the Bible, right next to, near Revelation toward the end there, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. His books ooze with love. Love, love, it's almost sickening. It's like syrup, love. He talks about love so much. Why? Because he was such a recipient of it. It just can't help but flow out. 1 John 4, 11 and 12, John wrote, Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. Some time ago, I happened to notice this beginning part of verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. And I wondered, why is that there? Why throw in a little theology? Of course, they knew in, in Bible times that nobody could look upon God in the face and live. Moses learned that in the Old Testament. You can't, you can't look upon me and live. The human body is not capable of digesting one glimpse of the living God looking face to face. One day we'll be able to. One day we'll be changed. 
We'll be able to see him as he is, but we can't right now. And so John says here, nobody has ever seen God. Why did he say that? Well, I think his point here when he says, no one has ever seen God. If if we love one another, God remains in us. His love is perfected in us. Here's what he's saying. Nobody's ever seen God, but if you want to see God, love. That's what he's saying. Do you want God's love to be full in you? Do you want to understand what God is like? If you want to really see what God is like, God is understood through love, and when we love one another, then we get a, a, a taste of this. In our family, again, my brothers and I didn't always get along, but then there were times when we stood up for one another because we were brothers. About a year ago, I shared the story of when I was about 12 or 13, my three brothers and I were involved with a pickup uh, tackle football game with friends in the neighborhood. We played in one of their backyards that was hemmed in on three sides by a hedge, you know, bushes or shrubs. I don't know. I never known the dis- dis- difference between a bush and a shrub. But anyway, there are three sides there and then the house. And so it was a great football field and we were playing tackle football. And, and at one point during the game, one of the kids that was near me caught the football from the other team and I tackled him. But I tackled him kind of hard, and I tackled him into one of those bushes, so we both fell. And we both got scraped up a little bit, but he got the worst of it. I was getting ready to get up, and so was he, when all of a sudden this guy appeared. I didn't know him. 20, 21 years old, came over to where I was, bent down, and started pounding me in the face. Just with pounding me. I thought, what on earth's going on here? It was just so out of the blue, so random. What's going on here? And then when he was done, he stood up and he walked away. But as he walked away, he said, that'll teach you never to tackle my brother that way. I found out later this guy had been released from prison a week earlier (laughs) for assault and battery. (laughs) But I remember my older brother's response. I don't remember exactly except he got furious. My older brother lifted weights. He was like a little muscle very strong, and, and he, he wanted to, you know, even though we didn't get along sometimes, you don't mess with my brother. You know, there's just a way in which we view one another within the body of Christ. The family were to care for one another and were to forgive one another completely. In Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, we read, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander must be removed from you along with all malice, which is a desire to get even with people, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. We are to forgive one another as God has forgiven us, period. I know that's not always easy to do, but we have to do it. Remember the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. Jesus then went on to say, if you do not forgive, God won't forgive you. I've wrestled with that before because I'm of the opinion that if you've put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. But Jesus said, God won't forgive you if you don't do this. And I've landed on the fact that what Jesus was talking about was the earthly consequences to our sins Putting it a little bit differently, if you hold people's sins against them, then in a physical sense, God's going to hold your sins against you. We've got to forgive one another. And why is this important? We're the family of God. We've got to stay together. We're on mission together. 
and we need to learn to get along. So a spiritual family should be a place where we mature spiritually, physical needs are met, unconditional love and forgiveness are extended, fourth, a place where we can make a unique contribution. One of the things I learned as my had more kids and they were growing older is that one size did not fit all. Even in terms of raising our kids. It's like, mom and dad, when I did this, this happened, but when this one does it, this happens. You're not treating us all the same. You're not the same. We learn that the, our kids are very different. All five of my kids are very different, you know? They're all working different jobs. One's a graphic designer, has his own company. One of them is a licensed counselor. One of them's a CPA accountant. Um, one of them is uh, a realtor. And one of them finished his degree in a field like sound engineering. So he's looking for work right now. But all of them are wired very, very differently. And they all make a different contribution in the world today. But when they were younger, of course, we did everything for the children. We did everything for them. We fed them, we bathed them, wiped their little bottoms. We did everything for the kids, but as they got older, we asked them to start taking on responsibility. I'm not making your bed anymore. You know, they can make their own bed. You're part of the family now, and there's a, a, a part that you need to play. You need to contribute to the family because you're part of the family. You're part of the mess. And we started having the kids do different things. It just was the appropriate thing to do. And again, the kids make different contributions. One of my kids was a chef's apprentice for Nemecole and Woodlands. He worked in four of the restaurants cooking the food for people. He's very, very good at cooking, very good at it. And he gets stuck with it in our family. And so we have a family dinner today. We, we usually meet together every Sunday night for a family dinner, bring all the kids in and wives and things. And when it's a special dinner, he's the one that cooks. And this one is a special dinner because one of the kids had a birthday yesterday. And so he always cooks. And you might think, well, it's not fair that he be the one to have to cook. But he doesn't view it that way. He's good at it. He loves to do it. And we love to eat it. Win, win, win. Everybody wins. That's how it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. We're all given different gifts and abilities. There's a certain point in which we're just receiving, but at a certain point, it's about giving back. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6, we read, now there are different gifts but the same Spirit, different ministries with the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. In the Bible, there are about 22 different spiritual gifts or abilities that God gives people in the church. Things like hospitality, some have a gift of mercy. They're just so, they're so good at caring. There's a gift of generosity, there's a gift of teaching, a gift of evangelist. Some are good at sharing their faith. But we begin to serve in the area of our strength and everybody, you're benefiting from it. It's, you're doing something you're good at. The church benefits. And so Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.10, based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. He's given you a gift, manage it well. So we're a place where we mature spiritually. Physical needs can be met. Unconditional love and forgiveness are extended. We make a unique contribution. And finally, it's a place where we impact the world for Christ. God has designed the church so that he will shine through it.
so that people will be attracted to it. This is what God did, of course, with Israel in the Old Testament. He did remarkable things in their midst so the whole world would come to him. And the same thing's true of the church. It should be pointing people to Jesus. And this is what Jesus wanted to happen. Just before he was arrested, he was in a garden praying, and he said in John 17, 18, he was praying to his father. He said, as you sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world. There's a role that we have as the church outside our doors. A few verses later, in verse 20, he said, I pray not only for these, in other words, his 12, or at this point, 11, I pray not only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they be one in us, so the world may believe you sent me. May they get along with one another, love each other well, so the world will know this is true. Elsewhere, Jesus said, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and we need to be a light in this world. Over the years, I've heard a lot of stories of people who got exposed to you all, and they found Christ as a result. I remember this one time, someone showed up. I met them, I think, for the first time that they, were, they came here. I was talking with them, and they said something to this effect. I'm fairly new to the area, and in the last couple of months, I've run into a lot of people. I've met people at work and other places, and uh, along the way, I've made some, a few friendships, and there are these five in particular that I met in various contexts. And somehow in the conversation with each of these, I found out they all go to Chestnut Ridge Church. And he said, I like these five people. And I see the connection, and so he came to the church. And I think there's a work that we have to reach people for Christ. So let me summarize here. We're, we're to be a family. And it's a place where we can grow spiritually. And by the way, you take the initiative to grow spiritually. We'll, we provide opportunities, but you grow. A place where physical needs to be met, where unconditional love and forgiveness are extended, where you can make a, a contribution, a place where we can impact the world. And if the church isn't that, I encourage you with my main takeaway, be the church you want the church to be. The main application is stay connected. And even in the early church, that was a problem. The writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we get closer to the return of Christ, it's going to get tough. We need to be connected with one another. Some of you are not yet connected. We talked this morning about maybe going online and seeing what we have to offer. The website is, well, you can go to our church website or else you just type in the ridge.church slash groups or the old address still works, chestnutridgechurch.com slash groups. We have about 15 different groups right now. Some meet in person, some don't because of the COVID thing. And, and some are related to life phase or, or like a demographic, like men's groups or women's group, but some are care ministries like divorce care. But I encourage you to take the initiative to get involved. And I realize for some of you, that is a big step. And maybe for you, your step is just to be a little more friendly here and meet some people as, as you're out, out and about. People have said before, you know, I came here and, and, and nobody said hi to me. And I'm wondering, yeah, but you can say hi. Just to take the initiative, but just to be more connected. Now, if you're already connected, 
then I want to encourage you to value the connectedness and devote yourself more to it, greater connectedness, because in time we tend to drift apart. It's just easy to get so distracted. But let's be a family where we're working together. This time we're going to sing a song together that relates to our subject. It's called Sons and Daughters. Because our God is our Heavenly Father, it makes us sons and daughters, but it also makes us brothers and sisters of one another. We invite you to stand and sing along with us.
that you would call us sons and daughters. We're, we're amazed at that, O oh Lord, that you'd adopt us into your family. We ask you, Lord, to give us the grace to value it the way you do. I think how Jesus is devoting his time to building his church. We want to be part of that as well. So help us, O oh Lord, to apply these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes our time this morning, but I encourage you to think carefully this week about this. Is there some way in which you could become more and more connected to really take some steps toward community. I think it'd make a huge difference in your lives. Have a blessed week. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.